0: Welcome to the teachings of Pastor Mike Yost of the Springs Calvary Chapel in Habern, Idaho. Please join us as we study the Word of God. But we are this morning continuing in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 12. We started into chapter 12 last week. Jesus had just come from dinner with the Pharisees. The Pharisees had treated Him quite poorly. He excoriated them, woe to you for all of these things. And then it begins in chapter 12. Beware! First of all, as all the multitudes are just gathering to Jesus, it says they're trampling one another. They're so close. They're stepping on each other's toe. They just want to get to the rabbi. They want to get to the Messiah. And as he's got this huge multitudes, innumerable, crowded there, he says, first, beware. And chapter 12 is full of warnings. There's five warnings in chapter 12. And the first one he says, beware of, first of all, the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy, being two-faced, being something that you're not, not being real, not being honest, not being transparent. Beware of wearing that cloak, that, that, that good Christian, you know, look every time you go to church, I'm good, everything's good, liar. We know it's not, Right? But if you can be real, then you can not only receive what God has for you, but you can meet those other people who are hurting and needy. And so, the first thing Jesus would warn His followers, and that will include us 2,000 years later, beware of hypocrisy. It's going to go on after hypocrisy today. We're going to discuss covetousness, greed, you know, wanting stuff. And he's going to talk about beware of worry. This is something that shouldn't be in the church. It shouldn't be part of a believer's life. Worry. He says to beware of carelessness, laziness, and to beware of ignorance or um, dullness, spiritual dullness. So, let's just jump on in at verse 13. After speaking to them on hypocrisy, then one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made you, me a judge or an arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the above abundance of the things he possesses. And then he'll speak a parable. But let's stop for a second. So the crowd's there. He's told them, Don't be hypocrites. And then a guy, you know, Jesus, Jesus, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And in this, not only is he asking for something that he wants, but there's division being sown here, not only amongst the people in the crowd, but in that very family between brothers. And, and Jesus says, well, who made me a judge or an arbiter? Why would you come to me? And ask me to do that. You think I'm a person in authority and I can just tell him to do this or tell him to do that. But where, why is it that you're even giving me that authority? Who is it that you think that I am, right? He says, um, what it, and, and what it comes down to is in those days, uh, as brothers would receive an inheritance, generally the eldest would get an extra portion. So if there's two brothers, that would mean one brother would get two-thirds of the will and one brother would get one-third of the will. But in either case, here's a brother, he wants his now. Okay, it's a lot like the story of the prodigal son, right, who goes to his father and says, I want my inheritance now. And there's the other brother, the self-righteous brother, who does everything right, stays with dad, he's got all this going on, and yet God's heart is for both of his sons, right, in this story, and Jesus is like, I'm not picking sides. But there's an issue at play here that needs to be discussed. So he turns to the crowd in response to that request from that man and says to them, take heed, watch out, beware, okay, this is a warning to us, and beware of covetousness. And that really is all covetousness, is whatever it is that is desiring something that isn't rightfully yours. If you want to work for it and earn it and buy it, fine. If it's something that somebody's given to you, fine. But if it's something that you just think people owe you, we call that entitlement, one of the big names that goes around today. You think somebody owes you something, Jesus says, watch out. Nobody owes you anything. In fact, if anything, the Bible clearly teaches us what we are owed, it's the wages of sin. That's death. Okay? But, but Jesus is saying, be careful of covetousness, okay? And uh, he says, Who made me a judge or an arbiter over you? That's in the plural. So I'm not going to de- defy you two, you two boys. Verse 15, he said to them, Take heed, beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. It's not about stuff. This kingdom, this kingdom of heaven is not about getting the biggest pile, king of the hill. There's something you're missing completely here. Um, And so, he says it does not consist of the abundance of things he possesses. So, he speaks a parable to try to help explain it. Now, remember, a parable, it's a story that we're supposed to all be able to listen to and get the idea What's he trying to say? So he's going to use this illustration, and we can all look at the illustration and go, ah, that's what he's talking about. Let's look what the parable says. He spoke a parable to them saying, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself saying, what shall... I do, since I have no room to store my crops. So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store all my crops and my goods, and I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Ay, 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 I." all about him, selfish. But God so said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God." You get the picture? Desiring stuff, thinking stuff is going to make you happy, thinking stuff is going to make you secure, thinking stuff is the answer to having a fulfilled life. Um, kind of interesting in here, this this fool um, and his heart, there's, there's uh, five marks you can see in here of a fool. Uh, the fool, we're a fool when we don't, Give God credit for the things that we've got. He's all about me, mine, I. I did this. The fool, we are fools when we live only for ourselves. We are fools when we misvalue life compared to stuff. And we're fools when we ignore our eternal destiny. Don't be a fool. Don't place all your hopes and dreams in your savings account, your 401k these kinds of things. I mean, when we look at the, the state of the world and it, as it is economically, poof, it could all go away in a heartbeat. We watch it happen to people tragically time and time again. There was an earthquake last week. It's over 20,000 people that just perished. We don't know. It could be double that before, by the time they get dug, dug out. And what does that mean in the weight of eternity? okay. So, something that we need to look at and be be mindful of, be careful for that. Luke um, recorded what Jesus said earlier in in chapter 9. He said at verse 27, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. There's the value of life. For what profit? There's the question, profit. Divide to me my inheritance. I want it now. Give me my stuff. What profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? Matthew, when he records he says, and what shall he exchange for his soul? What price do you put on your life? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him, the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory. And in Matthew, it says, when he returns with his angels, with his reward. So, the eye, the idea here is to get your eyes on the prize. But that prize, it's the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Don't live for today. Don't live for stuff. Live for God. Oh, that we could be God rich, rich towards God and not rich in stuff. Now, the cure? generosity, gratitude, freely giving, not letting the right hand know what the left hand is doing. If you, like me, suffer from pangs of covetousness, the quickest cure is to give it away and if you find yourself beset by this desire to have more, to get stuff, it's clothes, it's food, it's a house, it's a car, it's, it's whatever. If it's something that really deal, you deal with heavily, then not just be generous, but sacrificially generous. Give out of your need. Give to the point where you recognize that you can't out-give God, and it'll change your whole world, and you'll no longer grasp after stuff. You'll just open up your hands and receive whatever God would put in them and be grateful for it and realize that you can't outgive God. So is He who lays up treasure for Himself and is not Rich towards God. He's going to finish in this little passage, seek first the kingdom of heaven. Then all these things will be added to you, right? But we want to be rich toward God. Another thing he warns us about, he warns the multitude about in verse 22 and on were warnings about worrying, okay? Warnings about anxiety and, and really warnings to not fear, to have faith, and so this is something that we need to be careful with in the church. We don't want to be hypocrites. We don't want to be covetous, greedy, selfish, and we don't want to be be beset with worry and anxiety and fears. Let's see what he has to say about it. He said to his disciples, okay, so this is kind of back and forth. There's a multitude, they're pressing in. He says to the multitude, then he says to disciples, and then a man in the crowd says this, and he says this to the crowd. He comes back to his disciples. What is the definition of a disciple? A follower. If you're in the crowd and you're a follower of Christ, you're a disciple, okay? And so he's not discriminating. He's sharing it with everybody that has ears to hear. Some do and some don't. He said to his disciples, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life and what you will eat, nor about the body and what you will put on. Life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. So it's interesting as you watch in this how these things that people worry about, that we need to be careful about, it's kind of funny how hypocrisy and being two faced and putting on airs and trying to pretend to be something that you're not kind of just lead you into the next area of covetousness. I want the best seat in the synagogues. I want the praise of people when I go to the marketplace. I want that. I want, you know, and so the hypocrisy of the Pharisees leads to covetousness. Covetousness, this greed, you know, it's like they say um, greediness or covetousness is like drinking salt water. The, the more you drink, the thirstier you get. It doesn't fix anything, right? And so, covetous now leads to worry, okay? And this is something we have to be careful about. Life does not consist of um, what we will eat, nor about the body. Um, life is more than food, and it's more than clothing. And then he gives some examples. Again, it's like that open hand concept, right? Consider the raven, for they ha- neither sow nor reap, which have neither storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them, okay? There was a guy who just built his barns, filled them up, died. And here's a raven who hasn't ever planted a crop in his life. He's got his daily bread. God's going to take care of you. you. When you are worrying, what you're in essence saying is God is not a good shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Man, I want stuff all the time. I wish I could get a drink. I wish I could find a place to eat. I wish He would guide me in paths of righteousness. That's not how the psalm goes, is it? What we're saying is God isn't a good provider, a good shepherd when we worry. They neither reap nor sow, nor have storehouses nor barns. God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than birds? He already used the sparrow illustration just a little bit earlier with the crowd. You're more valuable than birds. In God's eyes, you're created in the image of God. Christ died for you. He went to the cross of Calvary and spilled His blood on your behalf. You're precious in His sight. Verse 25, and which of you by worrying can add one cubit to His stature? Um, a cubit is 18 inches, and, and the idea here is not, not necessarily that you can worry yourself and grow 18 inches taller in stature, but your standing, your position, your portfolio, your wealth, all of these things. Can you worry yourself rich? That's what he's saying. It's kind of silly. Verse 26, if you then are not able... To do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? You, you, can't, you can't change anything by worrying. It's said that um, worry doesn't empty tomorrow of its troubles. It just empties today of its joy. Worry is kind of useless. It's kind of senseless. It's Seven things that I've got written down about worry, it's needless, we read in verse 23, it's senseless there in verse 24, it's useless in verse 26, it's thoughtless in verse 28, it's godless in verses 29 and 30, it's fatherless in verse 30b, and it's restless in verse 30. Again, it's useless. What a waste of time. And yet, that's what we do. Now, be sure that worry is not being prudent or proactive or taking care of your responsibilities. That's not worry, what worry means, you know. A prudent man sees danger coming and he gets out of the way. It, it's not bad to look at your issues and say, what's my strategy for engaging these things? Worry in the Word really comes from an idea to tear apart It'd be the ideas like they, you would use the phrase back in the King Jimmy days, the King James version, of worry a dog worrying a bone. You know, you throw a dog a bone, he's just... Right? And he'll just go at it. And then he'll go bury it so he can get it out again. And that's what it is when we worry. We take an issue we should have given to God, and we just keep taking it back, it's wrong. It's a sin to worry, okay? And be careful. That's what he's saying. Put your faith in God. Trust Him. He takes care of the birds. He's going to take care of you. It says in um, verse 27, consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet that I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. The nicest, finest robes that Solomon could wear didn't compete with a valley full of flowers in bloom, just absolute splendor. And in the best efforts of the richest man that ever lived, he couldn't compete with what God does. Verse 28, if God then so clothes the grass, which is today in the field and tomorrow is thrown in an oven, how much more will He clothe you, O you of little faith? And really, this is the this is the nut of it. Worry is lack of faith. Worry is fear. It's the opposite of faith. Faith is just trusting God, putting your hands in God and saying, not my will, thy will be done. And then... As you have said that, receive it, and whatever He brings into your life, even if it's things that seem difficult, hard, just know He's using it to conform you into the image of His Son. And isn't that what we want? And which of us doesn't recognize that His Son had to go to the cross of Calvary? And we do too. Take up your cross daily. Okay, So some of the things that God does to you that blesses you with are things to kind of take your self-pride, your hypocrisy, your covetousness, your worry away. There's some things you worry about. They are so overwhelming. You finally get to the point, you go, I can't deal with it. You've got to help me, God. And he goes, Finally. that's why I had to pile it on so heavy, you just wouldn't break. Maybe it'd be easier just to give it to him sooner. (laughs) Verse 29, and do not seek what you should eat or drink or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind, okay? And that word for seek is to run after. Is this your ambition? Is this your pursuit? Is this your life goal, just to get, 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 get? Okay, remember it started with hypocrisy and moves to covetousness, now it's into worry, but it all just cycles into all these things that are unhealthy for us. Verse 30, for all these things, whatever it is, whatever is on the list of your, and Cheryl can tell you, and most of the rest of you could tell you, I've got a list of things. If you want to come up to me and ask me, you know, What is it I would want for Christmas or whatever? I always have a list. I'm never. Cheryl's like, I don't want anything, and she really is. She's so content, it just drives me insane. It's Valentine's Day. I want to get her something. What am I going to get my wife? (laughs) She doesn't want candy. She doesn't want, for what it's worth, I'm taking her to the ballet. Now that's sacrificial giving. I just lost any reward right there. It's gone. (laughs) Verse 30, for all these things the nations of the world seek after. And your father knows that you need these things. It's fatherless when you worry. It's like you don't have a father in heaven. Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. What's with the serpent? What's with the scorpion? What's with the rock? Our good Father doesn't do that. He gives us our daily bread. And when we doubt Him or worry, we're, we're not acknowledging our Father in heaven. But seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. In the earliest part of this passage, Jesus was teaching the disciples to pray. And when he finished, he says, You need to pray persistently. And he used the example of the Father who gives bad things, or would not give bad things, I should say. He says, How much more your Father who is in heaven would give you his Holy Spirit? You get the Holy Spirit, you get the kingdom, you're a king's kid. (laughs) You're adopted into the family. It's your inheritance. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. The longest single sentence in the whole New Testament. It's like 11 verses long, and there's, no, there's some commas. There's no periods, and it's a list of all our spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. Man. And in fact, here's a good cure for worrying and covetousness and hypocrisy memorize that verse. I know they put 14 pieces in it, but it's the longest verse in the Bible. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 3 through 14. By the time you get done memorizing all the things that are in your bank account, it'll take a while to memorize if you memorize like I do, but boy, it'll dispel anything that you think you're lacking Seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. That's your inheritance. Wow. Verse 33, and, and again, here's the cure, generosity. Give it all away. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow Him. The Son of Man, He has no place to lay His head, right? Right? You have to understand that this life of being a follower of Jesus Christ means we have to live like Christ, which means we have to receive what God puts in our hands. There's an interesting thing the the Jewish, uh, the rabbis would say, uh, a baby comes into the world holding his fists, right? Because when babies are born, they're quite often just like that, right? But we kind of leave the world empty-handed. So, what is the point of grasping? It's all going to go. Sell what you have. Give alms. Okay, that's just being generous to people in need. That's what alms are. Provide yourselves money, bags, which do not grow old. Treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches, nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's that simple. Where's your treasure? You want to know where your treasure is? Look at your bank ledger. Look at your calendar. Look at the way you spend your life and you spend your time, and you'll know what you put your invest your life into. When you get to heaven, all this stuff's going to be gone. The only thing that's going to be left is your neighbor. Look at your neighbor. They're going to go to heaven. Invest in each other. Invest in in people, that's that's a good investment right there. Where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. And then another warning, this will be about carelessness, just um, (laughs) being lazy, right? The cure, I'll tell you in front, it's going to be eagerness instead of carelessness, diligence instead of laziness, okay? Let your waist be girded and your lamps burning and you yourselves be like men who wait for their master when he will turn from the wedding that when he comes and knocks they may open to him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the master when he comes will find watching. Assuredly I say to you that he will gird himself and have them sit down and eat and will come and serve them. Don't be that lazy, careless person, that servant. Here he uses this illustration of those that should be um, eager to serve, eager to be diligent, to take, to watch after their master. In First Peter chapter 1, verse 13, talking about girding up, the idea of girding when they would wear these robes, they would pick their robes up and tie them around their waist so they could get busy, they could work. And that's the idea of girding yourself. So you're ready to work. You're ready to serve. You're not just kicking back. And it's, it's for the church, What are we doing in service is kind of the picture there. In 1 Peter uh, 1, verse 13, Peter writes, gird up the loins of your mind. Okay, so it's not just just a physical thing, but even your mind. You need to put a little bit of brain power into this. Be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust, as in your ignorance but as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. And so, we're to gird up our minds to be ready. He uses this picture in Luke of a wedding when the master returns from the wedding. And you know, it's a beautiful picture in Revelation chapter 19, speaking of the church. In verses uh, seven through nine, it says, let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. Are you getting ready? Are you eager? for the wedding? Are you eager for your master? Are you eager to serve your master? It goes on to say in verse 8 of Revelation 19, and to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And then he said to me, right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. Now, one of the things that's mind-boggling in all of this is if you read what Luke is talking about, it's the master who went to the wedding and the servants are supposed to be girding themselves up and their lamps burning in, in anticipation of the master coming back. Um, and we should be watching. Um, and it says that assuredly, this is Jesus saying, this is truth, write it down, when he does come, he's going to gird himself and serve you. That's the beautiful thing about the wedding banquet is that the the groom then serves the bride. It's beautiful. In Revelation... Uh, the letters to the seven churches, there's two of the last churches in the last days. One is the church of Philadelphia. It's a wonderful church. In Revelation 3, 7, Jesus says to the church in Philadelphia, I know your work. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it, for you have little strength and have kept my word and not denied my name. Good church, a missionary church, a a loving church church. It goes on in verse 10 of Revelation 3, because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. You're safe and secure, just looking for the Lord. But then it goes on and talks about the church of Laodicea. We know it as the lukewarm church. And uh, Jesus says, I know your works that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were hot or cold. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Lukewarm, careless, lazy, unprepared, not diligent, not eager, not watching deluded. It says, because you say, I am rich, covetousness, and also hypocrisy. I have become wealthy. I have need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. He says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. And he goes on with the famous Revelation 3.20 verse, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. This is something we have to look forward to. But we don't want to be lazy. We want our lamps lit. We want to gird up ourselves. We want to be looking for the return of our Savior. Um, It's just something that I get excited about. In 1 Thessalonians, every chapter is about the return of Jesus Christ, our Master, Every chapter ends with an admonition to look for His appearing. In chapter 4, at verse 13 of First Thessalonians, Paul says, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. And then in verse 17, it tells that we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds and meet the Lord in the air, And thus we shall always be with the Lord. This precedes the wedding banquet. And this is something that Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant about this stuff. You need to understand it. I'm coming. I'm coming back, right? Revelation 22, 20 says, I am coming quickly. I am coming soon. When it happens, I'm going to be there. And he's so excited. And then look what Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 1 through 11, concerning this. It says, And concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. You know this. You should know this. You've been told this. If you haven't been told this, you know now. I told you. Okay? When Jesus comes, it's going to be like that. And it says that an hour a time you don't expect. So you know when it's going to happen? right when you don't think it is. That's the definition of an hour you don't expect. And so, what are you going to do if you don't know what time it is? Get ready. Jesus tells the parable of the ten virgins, virgins, uh, five who had oil in their lamps and their wicks were trimmed and they were ready for, ready for the wedding, and then the five who didn't, right? And the five who didn't, didn't get to go into the wedding. They weren't ready. In, in First uh, Thessalonians 5, concerning the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need I should write you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night, for when they say, peace and safety, that's the world, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pangs upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. Talk about labor pangs. Talk about the world that we're living in today. The things that we see, the signs of the times, the last days, the prophecies that the Bible speaks of, 25% of the Bible tells us what to expect in the last days. And that these labor pangs, if you will, all these earthquakes, all these wars, all these tragedies that are going on around the world, they're increasing in frequency and in power. And that's what labor pangs are like. And we're watching it just get more and more and more ramped up. Now, some people would say, well, that doesn't prove that He's coming. You know, every generation that ever lived thought He was coming. And I would say, amen. But I would say this, (laughs) if you're not getting ready, if you're not trimming your wick, if you're not filling your oil, if you're not girding yourself, if you're not ready, guaranteed, you're not going to get on the bus. And that's the heart of what we have to do here. verse 4, it says, "'But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We are not of the night or darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation.'" For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a distinctive of the Calvary Chapel churches, of which we are in fellowship with, that we have a last days eschatology, a fancy word for saying, the way we understand what's going to happen in the last days, the last things, and, and we look forward to the soon return of Jesus Christ with a trumpet, with the call of Christ, and we will be caught up together to be with Him in the clouds. We just read that in First Thessalonians 4.17. That's the rapture of the church. Then comes the tribulation, seven years of God shaking the world prior to the millennial reign in which we will reign with him and Jesus will reign with a rod of iron, and then we'll go into a new heavens and new earth and eternity in heaven with God. That's a thumbnail sketch of it. There are other people that see that differently, and I'll be fair, okay, that doesn't make them unsaved. There are different ways to look at that as Calvary chapels. This is, this is what, how I see it, how I believe it, and how I teach it. That's not going to break faith with us. But what will break faith is if you don't expect the soon return of Christ and you are not ready, you will find yourself in a place we, know that we call left behind, okay? And you want to be very, very careful for that. So, these are warnings that Jesus is giving to us. Um, It says in uh, verse 38, and if he should come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find find them so, blessed are those servants, if they're ready. But, verse 39, know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. Jesus says in Matthew 24, the hour, the day and the hour, no one knows. But what we do know is His return is imminent. It's the doctrine. It's the teaching of the imminent return of Christ. Any time. It could happen before we finish this message. Are you ready? You want to go to heaven now? Are you ready? Okay. That's, that's the question. Verse one. then Peter said to him, Lord, do you speak this parable only to us or to all people, right? Because he started out talking to the disciples, but then it enlarged. And so instead of saying you or all people, look how Jesus answered. And the Lord said, who then is that faithful and wise stu- stu- steward whom his master will make ruler over his household to give them their portion of food in due season? And so he says, whoever is Faithful and wise, that's who I'm talking to, those who have ears to hear. Blessed is the servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Oh, how happy. That's, you know, well done, good and faithful servant, right, is what he'll say. But verse 44, truly I say to you that he will make him a ruler over all that he has. You've been faithful in little, I'm going to make you ruler over much. Verse 45, but. If that servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat his male and female servants and eat and drink and be drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and an hour when he's not aware and he will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. But he who did not know yet committed these things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with a few." For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required, and to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask more. Just different degrees of responsibility. If you do what you've been asked, blessed are you. You're just going to love the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if you're not, you might follow into three categories laid out here in verses 46, 47. Um, As far as the first one, the one that's cut in two, now this is figurative because you go on to see that it it can't be uh, literally cutting in two, but it's interesting. That idea of cutting in two is right in line with the hypocrite. You're two faced. You want to live two lives, you want to be two persons, you want to be the inner person and the outer flashy person, great, give you that. You're going to remain a hypocrite for eternity. You'll, you'll be cut in two in, in a sense, okay? You're going to get what you expected God to give you. And uh, the next group, those that are not prepared in verse 47 and, and beaten with stripes. And then those who didn't know with less stripes. Kind of an interesting thought, you know, and people look at, but will there be different degrees of punishment in hell? The Bible says, yeah. Actually, some will be punished more severely than others. Um, and, and in some of these, you're going to be chastened as a son and then restored. But the question is, are you looking for and eager for Jesus, or are you just careless, lazy, or, you know, are you eager for His return? Verse 49, I came to send fire on earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. This rolls right off of that, Okay. There's a judgment coming, and and Jesus says, I sent fire on earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. Uh, In the beginning of Luke's gospel, back in chapter 3, John the Baptist came and said, I baptize you with fire, but he who comes after me will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Oh, John said, I'll baptize you with water. He who comes after me will baptize you with fire and the Holy Spirit, right? My winnowing... fan is in my hand, right? And the idea is after they have harvested all that chaff, they would just torch it, poof, it would be gone. It would be removed, okay? And that's what Jesus is coming to do. He's coming to remove the chaff, okay? All that is not good and wholesome, all that's not the wheat, all that is not of value. And that's what Jesus has come to the earth for, to help us separate right from wrong, good from evil, wholesome from immoral, and these things. And and he goes on to explain that. He says, I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how distressed I am till it is accomplished. Can you imagine Jesus living in a sinless, fallen world? It's not hard. We live in it. We walk in it. We see this stuff. I mentioned the earthquake in Turkey the other day, and we got news of it right away through some of our news feeds. But it was not reported on national news feeds for over a day, almost two days, with maybe a little teeny thing, oh yeah, there's an earthquake in Turkey. One of the most amazing, just graphic human tragedies going on in the planet, and yet what are they running? The same exact time news comes out of Turkey, the Grammy Awards, and this Sam Smith character doing all of his unholy, satanic stuff for millions of people. Children can watch that junk. And, and you look at this world and you say, why, why is Jesus distressed for having to come to this earth and live amongst us? Whoa, oh, right? I'm a sinner and it bothers me. He's sinless. Oh, he just wants to clean house. He says, do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? I tell you, I did not at all, but rather division. That's where we started today, remember? Father, tell my brother to divide my inheritance with me. okay. Okay, now that we've talked about it, all you hypocrites, all you covetous people, all you worriers, all your lazy, slothful people, let's do some division here. There's the kingdom of heaven. You can seek that, or you can have the earth. It's all going to burn. Do you suppose I came to give you peace on earth? I tell you, not at all, but rather division. From now on, five in one house will be divided, and three against two, and two against three. Father will be divided against son, and son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, Mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. How sad. And yet, I would be surprised if I could go through this room and find one of you that doesn't fit somewhere in that list. We came to know Jesus Christ. We had to forsake our old life, our old friends, and in many cases, our family. And in our community, with the, with the, with the, the spiritual landscape that we live in, renouncing your faith, often your faith, your, your faith before you came to cross Christ will cost you family, jobs, all kinds of stuff. It's, it's powerful but you need to decide. He came to bring division, and he's going to separate the sheep from the goats, the sinners from the saints, dark from light, death from life. He goes on in verse 54, then he said to the multitudes, whenever you see a cloud rising out of the west, immediately you say a shower is coming, and so it is, right? Because out of the west would be... Um, um, when you see a cloud rising out of the west, immediately you say a shower is coming. That's that, that kind of, we get that here in Idaho, right? We get all of our wind out of the west, but when the wind turns out of the east and clouds start coming from that way, we've got a low pressure, and that the one that's, that's the ones that almost always bring the rain, right? It's like, you can figure that out. You can discern that. Um, Verse 55, and when you see the south wind blow, you say there will be hot weather, and there is. It's coming up out of the Arabian Peninsula, right? Or for us, out of Utah or Nevada. It's like, okay, could be a hot wind. Hypocrites, there we go, back to the beginning. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy, two-faced. You can discern the face of the sky and of the earth, but how is it you do not discern the This time, you can do the weather, but how is it you don't understand? I'm Messiah. I'm standing right in front of you. I came to deliver you from sin and death. How is it that you don't get that? You've got the Scriptures. The Bible is one-third prophecy. It speaks of me. Uh, uh, The hugest percentage is Last days and times, the days we live in church, just as much as Jesus is saying to them, how can you not figure out what I've been trying to say to you? How much more so? Church, how can you not figure that out? In Luke 19 coming up, Jesus will be riding into Jerusalem. It'll be Palm Sunday, the time He's going to be crowned as king by the people, right? It's an exciting time. And yet, Look at how Jesus looks at it. In verse 41 of Luke 19, Now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you especially, in this day, in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes. For the days will come and you, when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side, and level you and your children within you, and to the ground, and they will not leave you one stone upon another because, and here it is, you did not know the time of your visitation. Do you not know He's coming? The Master is coming. Is your lamp lit? Are you girded? Are you ready? Are you seeking Him? Um, And finally, verse 57, yes, and why even of yourselves you do not judge what is right? Man, you can't, you can't figure out what the Word says. You can't even figure out between yourselves. You guys are this brother, right? They all don't know how to, dis, to rightly divide what's happening in our lives. He says, as an illustration, when you go with your adversary to the magistrate, make every effort along the way to settle with him, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge deliver you to the officer, and the officer throw you into prison. I tell you, you shall not depart from there till you have paid the very last mite. It's not going to turn out well. He says, settle out of court. You don't want to go before the judge. Bottom line is, we're all guilty, And the day we stand before our judge, our Lord Jesus Christ, if we have not confessed Him as Lord and Savior, we are guilty of the blood of Jesus Christ. And the verdict will be death. That's that's the payment. But if we settle out of court, if we settle it now, we don't have to fear that day. We can can rightly decide, how do I want to live my life? Do I want to be... Covetous, hypocritical, worrying, uh, <laughs> lazy, ignorant person? Or do I want to be honest, generous, faithful, diligent, and discerning? That's, that's what's laid out on the table before us. Worship team, come on up. Well, I just want to read out of Second Peter chapter 3, the days that we're living in. Beloved, I write to you this second epistle, both of which I stir up in your pure minds by way of reminder that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandments of us, the apostles and the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days walking according to their own lust. Is that our world? Are there a people that scoff and mock Jesus Christ and they walk according to their lust? It's rampant. It's just, it's obscene. And saying, where's the promise of is coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget. It means they ignore it. They know better. That the wor- by, the world, by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the, that world that then existed perished, being flooded with water, the days of Noah. Jesus says about the days of Noah, as in the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. These are the days we live in. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark. It's like a thief. No man knows the day or hour. And did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. We need to be ready today. We need to be ready right now. It says, it goes on to say, um, but beloved, do not forget this one thing that the, with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. He doesn't do math like we do, Right? The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. You got one more chance today. Today is the day of salvation. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved... Here's the question, it's all going to burn, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Amen? Amen. I just want to remind you that we have an opportunity today to live out our faith, to share our hope, to live the promise that God gave us. Our debt is paid in full, and and we can hand out that ticket to anybody that wants to receive it. In just a minute, we're going to have a salt and light meeting. You're all welcome. If we have to, we'll have the meeting in here because there's not enough room down there. The Salt and Light Council. it's, It's the group that we get together with where we look at the issues that are in the world today. Quick question. I've asked this before, so I think most of you will get it right. What part of our life, of our society, of our world, of our politics, is Jesus not Lord of. He's Lord of all. And so we need to take that promise that He gave us to go forward in His name and address those things. I, I, I pulled this off of the Salt and Light Council. You guys can look this up. It's on the internet, uh, dot org. 42 different topics that are addressed by the Salt and Light Council. This is for you. This is for me. You got an issue in your life? There's, there's 42. Let me li- read a list of the things that you can get help on. You need a resource. You need a resource about abortion, addiction, black history, education, environmental issues, family issues, homeschooling, homosexuality, human trafficking, and Internet safety, marriage, media, movies. Origins and creation, persecuted church, religious freedom, tax reform, veterans, voter information, worldviews, that's just part of the list of topics. And here, I counted over 300 links to organizations, websites, people that are vetted, for Christians. You want to go look up any of those subjects? You want to get in contact with somebody that can help you with your issue? It's here. It's the Salt and Light Council. That's why we brought it to the church. That's why I'm encouraging you in this. I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to say, I don't know what to do. You've got an issue. We have answers. We've got the Lord, and we can put you in the right direction. So, I just want to, I want to send you out with encouragement. That we can live honest lives, generous lives, diligent lives, hopeful lives, faithful lives, purposeful lives, because Jesus has shown us the way. Amen? Amen? Amen. Father, I want to thank you for today and the time that we've had to sit and listen to you. And I do pray, Lord, that it's been your Holy Spirit speaking in each of our hearts. While I may have been talking, you might have just been penetrating somebody's soul, and I thank you for that and the way that you do that for us. I pray that each and every one of us would take that which we heard from you and act on it this day. Help us, Lord, to be faithful. Help us to be holy in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Thanks for joining us today. To learn more about the Springs Calvary Chapel, please visit our website at www.thespringscalvarychapel.org. Join us in person at the Springs in Hayburn, Idaho, or here on the podcast as we worship together in spirit and in truth.